Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G., Thanks so much for being here with us. Happy end of Mardi Gras season, or as Catholics like to call it, happy beginning of Lent. What are you giving up? If it was Mardi Gras, that's a good thing to give up because it's over. I'd also like to say on a more somber note, but on one that truly shocked me because I was someone that grew up watching religiously Beverly Hills 90210, R.I.P. Luke Perry. I remember watching, I used to watch it with my friend, and I don't know if the, the kiddos out there, if you even had a house line at any point, but I would watch it on the phone with my friend, and we would have the phone on, and we would put it down during the show, and then when the commercial hit, we'd immediately pick up the phone and just talk about everything that we saw. And if you were going to be gone on a Wednesday, and your VCR didn't work, and you couldn't record it, you were lost. This was the show. My mom and I watched it together. My best friend and I talked about it nonstop. I had several shirts with uh, Brandon and Dylan on them. I had stickers. I had posters. I had the whole thing. I even had a puzzle. That's how dedicated to that show I was. So it's just kind of like a piece of my childhood is gone in a weird way. I don't know. I just didn't expect it. And I've been feeling a lot more than I than I thought I would, but it's just, it's really sad. He's got children. I hope the family's okay. I don't know how to transition it from something, so I had to address it, though. So hopefully y'all understand that and appreciate it. I'll, I'll transition to something positive. We had a giveaway, and we have winners for y'all. Tina Cacadellis from episode 26. She is a young adult lesbian fiction author. She wrote the Carly Allen trilogy, and when we interviewed her, only two of the three books were released the third one she was still working on and now they're all out there the trilogy is complete and she decided to give us two sets of the carly allen trilogy to give away to our listeners out there we put it all out on the social media all you had to do was like or comment on one of our posts announcing the contest we took those we put them in a spreadsheet we randomly chose two numbers and whatever number lined up on the spreadsheet that's who won so congratulations to our winners the cork queer from instagram and Ileana Ortiz from Facebook. We're going to follow up with messages. We'll get you your sets. And then if you like them, let everybody know. Because I can't wait to read the third one, the first two. Fantastic. Super excited. And thank you to Tina for doing that for us. Just a, a few quick announcements before we get to this episode. I will be doing stand-up at the House of Blues in New Orleans. March 27th, 7 p.m. I'm going to be recording 30-minute set. But you're recording my half hour. I'm going to be doing it. The significance of March 27th, that is Mariah Carey's birthday. We already knew that, though, right? Or I'm sorry, not her birthday, the anniversary of her 12th birthday. And to celebrate that, I'll be doing the special. We're going to have some great comics on. It's going to be fun. So if you're in New Orleans, March 27th, House of Blues, 7 p.m., totally free show. Come on, check it out. Add some laughs to the soundtrack. Be a part of something that I'm hoping is going to be really cool. 
And uh, I know we mentioned this last episode, but just a reminder, if you're in Vegas and you're going to Clexicon April 11th to the 15th at the Tropicana, we're going to be there. So come say hi. Give us a shout. And now to the episode. I'm super excited for this one. I'm always excited, but this is somebody, and we talked after we recorded, and we realized, hey, we've known each other now for a long time, and we haven't really gotten to know each other in the way that we did at this podcast. M.E., Titty Baby, as they are known on stage, is fantastic. They're a storyteller, songs, drag, all types of performance. It was amazing talking to them. I think you're going to have fun too. After the interview's over, stay tuned. We have a Titty Baby treat for you. We have a song that Titty Baby performed at Saturday Night Cartoons in New Orleans. So stay tuned for that. And yeah, let's get to the episode. Let's get to Titty Baby, M-E. How's it going? It's going good. I'm sipping on my kombucha. It's a rainy Wednesday. It's a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday. So we're hanging in there. <laughs> it, it's Mardi Gras season in New Orleans, and I feel like this we're coming down the final week before Mardi Gras, and I feel like at that point, the days just blur into each other. It could be any day. It's it, one big glitter blur. If you told me it was Friday, I would have believed you. <laughs> I would have just taken your word for it. You do so many different types of art and artistry, so we'll mm. we'll get to them all, but just for people that don't know you yet, you've done the Green Spring Court Mountain Storytelling show which yes. was amazing you're a singer do you write songs do you i dabble? have before okay but i wouldn't say that's my du jour and yeah. you do drag mm-hmm. and i don't know if you do any other stuff that i haven't seen those are the things i've personally experienced you perform so i don't know if you have any other types of performances uh performance wise that's about it um, i studied writing for a long time so i come from a writing background but yeah it's a, it's a little bit of everything and you have a show tonight. I have a show tonight. I'm doing extra. So Quinn Lurie's production uh, at the Always. And that'll be my last show, I think, for almost two weeks. So Ooh. I'm going to take a brain break <laughs> because I'm experiencing that, like, foggy, I know creativity is in there, but I don't know where to find it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for a break. Sometimes you just need to step away and Absolutely. reevaluate everything. But Extra is really cool. It's a political drag cabaret. Is yes. that the correct description for it? I think that's the right description, <laughs> and I've heard Quinn remark that this, uh, particular tonight, there will be no cis white men. So a big middle finger to our current government. Yes. <laughs> we can handle this without y'all. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really important, and I talked about this on the last podcast episode, about the drag world and even just the performing world just being more diverse and being conscious of that diversity. Yeah. There was an article in Big Easy magazine and they were doing an article about the Always Lounge, which is where your show is tonight, which is where Queer Mountain is. And they interviewed me as part of that. And uh, the girl had been to the last Queer Mountain and she had asked me, do you have mostly female identifying performers? And that show, we happened to have all female identifying performers. We had one male identifying performer who was filming something Mm -hmm. and didn't make it out. So we didn't make it to the show. Mm -hmm. So she asked me and I initially was like, oh, no, she's thinking like this isn't diverse enough. And and I was explaining. I'm like, we try really hard every show. We need a show, first of all. So we need people. Right. Uh, But we also try to have different ages different sexual identities different races like just to incorporate all the different types of different to our shows Mm -hmm. and she i I thought she was asking because in like well this is all female identified that's problematic but Mm. she wrote in the article which i didn't realize she was going for at the time that that's 
she was honored well, she was like that's great here's a show where it's mostly female identifying performers and we need that this wasn't my intention for this but if that's something that someone's looking for you know we can provide that so right um, i appreciate you sharing that because squirt reynolds just put on the boys want to be her production at the always last thursday and there was a twinge just within myself of is this okay i knew it was cool like yeah yeah, this is fucking awesome but there was a twinge of me asking myself is this okay is this leaving people out but then i had to kind of reckon those internal questions with the external truth of often women trans non-binary people are left out period if that's in an art space or professional space or any any space that i know of down in the deep south so (laughs) i did hear those questions i opposed those questions to myself but then i was like no 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 no. this is super cool so i appreciate like you listening to that person and thinking about the roles, but also like trusting that what you were doing was valid. I feel like I have to tell myself that. I feel a lot of us have to tell ourselves that often. Yeah. And I think it's good to have that internal conversation. Like, I think that's really important to the shows you're putting out there because boys want to be here. It was such a big success. And that's the audience speaks for yourself. Like you can have all the internal dialogue you want, but if people don't show up to your show, Mm -hmm. message received. And if your show was so packed that it was standing room only, message received. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, female identified and non-binary individuals. And it also spanned beyond gender. It spanned age. So we had Cece Dement, who is certainly a mother figure for a lot of women identified trans non-binary people as a woman who does drag. She, it was so epic to have her there. And then also on the other side of it, a performer like me or Lash Wednesday who recently graduated from cycle eight being newer on the scene. It was this amazing balance of representation. I think, you know, the only thing I could think of beyond that would be having a more diverse racial representation, which is certainly possible and available. I think that having the space is what is necessary. There were some performers uh, from Baton Rouge who drove down to come to the show. There was one in particular, they identify as non-binary, doing a, you know, high femme drag queen artistry. And they drove down and were like, I'm here because I heard there were non-binary artists and female identified people in a production I wanted to see what it looked like because I want to make that happen in Baton Rouge. Oh, that's fantastic. It was super cool and very humbling and I don't know, it, it made the thing real. It made it feel real and regional versus hyper local, which yeah. I feel like especially with drag that can, mm. uh, that sensation happens sometimes. Uh, so that was amazing. And I would only like want to see more development of those underserved under invited populations because clearly other people are paying attention and other people are wanting more so i'm excited to see things develop this year i hope it comes to baton rouge because that would be a so great because i feel like a lot of times in in louisiana and even mississippi and maybe texas included in this they're like oh that's just new orleans new orleans is just doing their new orleans thing and it's like you know but there's like a great drag show in like biloxi mississippi there's uh baton rouge you know there's a lot of different queer you know, I went up there for they had Baton Rouge Pride and I did a show at yes. an art space and it was there was all sorts of different like poetry and there was a dance we all did together. Like it was just this uh, an awesome queer space that 
I didn't know what to expect in Baton Rouge. I asked my friend to come with me. I was like, we're not doing this alone. We're going together. And then it was so great. <laughs> yeah, I hope to see more of that. I definitely think that there are audiences in these smaller areas of the Deep South. It's scary for me, especially as a newer drag performer, to want to break out and try the smaller cities. I, I feel like so far I've leaned into larger cityscapes just to try things on. So I do hope though that I can, uh, yeah, I can strengthen my ovaries and <laughs> and go out because I, I feel like if, especially Louisiana is such an underserved state in general, I feel that it deserves, as a, the state deserves good art and representation that extends beyond the cis white man. <laughs> <laughs> I used to worry about like performing in in other in certain cities because I don't know those cities I don't know those places I don't know if I'm safe or not and I found I've had no problems whatsoever with telling lesbian material or whatever if someone asked me to do a show somewhere else I just say yes and I go and it's worked out and so maybe you know just checking out those other spaces and and kind of leaving yourself vulnerable of like I don't know what to expect but that's also exciting Yes. Because they might be looking for, they might be, you know, and then the next time they'll drive down from wherever they are to see you in, in New Orleans and to see all these other cool spaces that are coming out. It's true. Yeah, I had this, I appreciate you saying that, especially because just a few weeks ago I was working the door for Gail King Kong's show and tell and through the the meat locker plastic curtain that's in front of the always <laughs> comes Chi Chi Devane, uh, the, you know, a, a seasoned uh, RuPaul's Drag Race uh, drag performer. And knowing that Chi Chi is out of Shreveport and developed, truly had a major hand in developing a scene. I've been told that, I don't know how much of this is accurate, but I've been told that before Chi Chi experience the platform of drag race there wasn't much drag culture period and i was i'm under the impression there wasn't even a gay bar if there was there was one yeah you know with the tumbleweed (laughs) outside of the doors so knowing that chi chi found value and purpose at the always and wanting to support local artists doing their thing was super important for us to see as as local performers but it also was a reminder that drag is happening in other states and we could do better to connect with those smaller towns especially as a person who's from a small town (laughs) i want to be sure and honor the representation of that so you did the drag workshop cycle eight of the new orleans drag workshop before that had you ever done drag no what made you say I'm signing up for this fucking thing because that would terrify me. You know, my girlfriend went through the same cycle with you. Mm-hmm. And when she decided to sign up, she was so I was like, this is so exciting. But if this were me, I would be so terrified and shaking in my boots every moment. Right. <laughs> so uh, the trajectory of my decision hinged on me being laid off. I was gainfully employed. The work was good. I wasn't suited for the work and that I didn't have the proper education uh, to do the work, but I did it anyway for three years. And it was certainly the best paying job I'd ever had. It was the office, the business cards, the phone line, all that. I got laid off in December of 2017. And uh, shortly thereafter, the whole clinic was shut down. What kind of clinic was it? It was uh, it was rooted in serving people who were coping from addiction. Okay. And some psych needs as well. Outpatient 
treatment um, for addiction. So yeah, I was the intake coordinator there, like the happy first mm. face. You could argue that that's drag on some <laughs> level. And I certainly, you know, did the the day drag of the office blouse mm. and the painted rouge cheek. So on some levels, I was already doing drag in my opinion. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, I was laid off. And then, yeah, the clinic closed that February, that Mardi Gras 2018. And um, I was just kind of floating and oscillating in between a, a brief gig here, um, doing some administration work there. I was already involved with Delgado. It's a community college here in New Orleans where I teach adult education. I was already doing that part-time and that was really my rock uh, in maintaining my senses about myself while I dealt with this layoff. And I had already thought about doing the workshop, but I always told myself, girl, when are you going to have time? You're mm. working a full-time job, a part-time job. You're a lady on the town. Like you don't have any time. Well, after you're laid off, I'm here to say that there is time. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of it. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of time. And I did fill it with Candy Crush and Domino's Pizza. And then that didn't feel so great anymore. <laughs> so I, I actually had just a little bit of money saved up. I was like clinging to it in my savings account. And it was April. Vincentos, the founder of the New Orleans Drag Workshop, he posted an all call and I sent in a brief email. I sent in, I think, I think one music track just to kind of guide the purpose of my drag character as if I knew what that was going (laughs) to be. And yeah, that was point A. And then point Z was graduating August the 6th of 2018. And I had my like first gig that next that next Sunday, I think. Yeah, it went by fast. And it was really sweaty and uncomfortable and fun. And yeah, I'm glad that I did it, though. It was one of those feelings of this, this money that I'm investing in this workshop experience. I don't know if I'm going to feel like I lost it or invested it. And definitely after the experience, I knew that I had made an investment, you know, beyond the coins. Yeah. You know, it's a creative, artistic, spiritual investment. So and is that are you like full time performer now or are you still doing a Delgado? I do still teach. Yeah. So I have my brain that's focused. Part of my brain is focused on reading and writing and online education, which is super tight. Mm -hmm. And I, I really do enjoy serving the population that we do serve people who are seeking their GEDs. So that's part of my brain. And then the other part is Mama, you need some 301s. Don't let your brows be too crunchy. <laughs> Did you put that infographic on Instagram yet? Because how are people going to know about your dates? And so I go in between uh, acad- academia on some level and, you know, artistic free-for-all vibes. Yeah, uh, so it's a little schizophrenic, <laughs> but it's good. No, we went earlier to Lowe's today because um, mm-hmm. you're doing a Laura Palmer number and you needed some plastic sheeting that was thick enough for your act and that didn't look like we were going to murder somebody yes yes there is some tact and so my communication (laughs) skills do come in handy (laughs) sometimes when I'm trying to work out a uh, more maniacal looking performance or I'm needing some supplies and I'm on a budget I can talk my way into uh, getting some support does sound like murder though (laughs) oh it totally does hi um, I need to dress like a corpse but I promise I'm only dressing up like a corpse I don't have one in my trunk no, no, don't don't look in the trunk. Don't Did I say trunk? I didn't say trunk. I don't have My a car. My car doesn't even have it. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. It's like, if there's nothing there, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Just check me out. 
Do you take cash? I only pay cash. Sorry. I have just a bunch of subway coupons, so. <laughs> so what? Because you're not you're from the New Orleans, right? You're a small town. You said what small town? Well, I was born in California, but I, I consider my hometown Stuttgart, Arkansas. Fun fact, if you take the T's out, it spells sugar. Oh. So we would call it Sugar Town, the Shug. <laughs> Super cool names that really cool white people use. <laughs> you, know, you know, my hometown is Santa Clarita, and they mm-hmm. actually at one point renamed it Awesome Town. Not officially, but oh. like the cool people that I grew up with named it Awesome Town. Absolutely, so, they did. Sugar Town sounds much better. <laughs> Alas, there is no sugar around, though, maybe in, like, a cold drink. But uh, I feel like that name gives some sort of suggestion, like, down here, that there would be sugar cane floating in the breeze somewhere. No, no, mama. (laughs) Just because y'all were sweet as pie. I suppose so. (laughs) What did your parents do? Working, hanging out, performing? My childhood was... My childhood was eclectic in that it certainly wasn't mom, dad, house, dog, sibling. I cat, cat. There were cats, though. Okay, there were cats. Um, essentially, the framework of which I grew up in. I had my mother. I think she was twenty three when I was born, so younger. Um, I'm. 29 now so I couldn't even imagine having what a six-year-old I think oh I'm 35 and I'm like no fucking way (laughs) no way I would have a 12 year old no (laughs) (laughs) absolutely not I'm sorry Jimmy yeah I'm like those hormones no get that out of my house (laughs) um so yeah I I grew up with my mother uh, as a single parent mom working full-time sometimes two jobs and then I grew up with my grandmother so my mother's mother and um, she was definitely stay-at-home grandma and so the way I, I understand it in my mind now and this of course I wonder if we all do this as we go to therapy and as we age, we perceive our childhoods differently or with a little more nuance. But now I perceive it as certainly single parent working household. And I, uh, I have this high femme acrylics, nail wearing tees, bouffant hair, grandmother who would always have lipstick on and rouge and Oh, the stirrup pants. Oh, I Pour remember one out the stirrup, for the stirrup pants. pants. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so there was that. And then my mother, who at the time was not out, but was like this dykey, strong, feminist, blue-blooded Democrat, hardworking person. And so I was this kid in between these two <laughs> poles uh, navigating my uh, my identity. And I think, um, I guess to answer your question, uh kind of how I found my own identity was rooted in the fact that women can be strong and women can maintain and manage life. The man is not needed. I I just saw this clip a couple of days ago where Cher was doing this interview in the 80s and she compared men to dessert. And the interviewer said, oh, really? Dessert? Like you shouldn't have it? And she said, no, I love dessert. I love men. I just don't need it. Yeah. And I, I, I felt that I appreciated it so much because I feel that was kind of the perspective that I grew up with then. Um, so yeah, I learned early on to make friends and to be neighborly because uh, a single parent household, mom's working all the time. She worked her ass off 
at this rice mill slash soybean mill. Um, at one point, she was an EMT. She took herself back to school and got her uh, license to be an EMT. And she's always given herself to work so that we could survive and thrive. And then my grandma was more of the caregiver, you know, cooking the dinners. And she was a church piano player. So that's where my exposure to music came from, learning how to play piano and being very comfortable singing in front of people definitely came from her years in the church. So that's the basic framework of where Mm -hmm. I came from. And the town, this is what I like to say about Stuttgart. Town is about 9,000 now. And that town would be the biggest town within 35 miles. So we had the Walmart. Okay. We had the Belk, which would be the uh, department store. And then um, we certainly had a few liquor stores, but there was, oh, we had the Dodge store, the Dodge's chicken store. Do you know about this? No, I was like, that I don't know. Let's talk about it. (laughs) So gas station, sure. The best fried chicken you'll probably ever have. That's not true for New Orleans, but anywhere outside of New Orleans. Yeah, two strips in a roll for $1.99. Get out of here. Pizza sticks. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Anyway, it's the best place, and we had the Dodge store, so we had it going on. Is it still around? It's still around, absolutely. But the two ninety nine or the the one ninety nine two strips in a roll deal is sadly not around anymore. <laughs> That'd be cool if they kept that forever. Right. Fuck you, recession. <laughs> I think it's cool, too, that, like, in describing your grandma and your mom, you saw different representations of, like, what a woman can be Mm -hmm. and not just, like, all women dress like this and all women act like this and all women are homemakers or all women work or whatever. You know, I think that's really important, and I can see that in your art. For sure. And thanks for saying that. Yeah, I think... Oh, I certainly, when I was uh, applying to the workshop, I really wanted to hone in on this older character. I think I was trying to mirror more of my grandmother and this high femme, angsty, but bless your heart vibe. But then as I really got into what drag meant for me, I realized that I'm actually going to be between both. I'm going to be feminine when I want to be I'm gonna be not necessarily masculine but I kind of go into this clown alien vibe sometimes <laughs> uh and I realize that I'll never I shouldn't I shouldn't uh box myself into one type of character because I think that I contain several it's the fucking Walt Whitman I contain multitudes <laughs> fantasy over here <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that that's been serving me so far, giving myself the permission to feel different characters out. And I think, too, like, even with comedy, when you start doing comedy, you're like, this is the kind of comic I am. I do one-liners or I do storytelling, you know. And then you realize, like, you don't have to just be that one thing. But when you first start, you're like, there's so many things and it's stressing me out that, like, I'll just be this one character. And then you try it and you're like, I could do all these things. This is fucking great. Right. Yeah, I... Sometimes I'm scared by that. Sometimes I become overwhelmed with this understanding of I can do all of this. Um, Sometimes it's easier to buy the pizza Lunchable and know that it's Mm -hmm. this amount of cheese and this amount of Ronies and this amount of pizza crust. But that is what's cool about art. And I try to continue to remind myself of that. It can be scary out there making art and hoping people like it it would be super tight if people paid for it all the time but sometimes it doesn't happen (laughs) uh yet here we are uh and yeah i think 
I, I'm working right now. It's been, I don't even know. I, I barely even know what day it is. So I don't even know how long it's been since <laughs> I've graduated. But it's been not a long time. Um, well, you knew the I've, date. What did you say? August 6th? <clears throat> August the 6th. Yeah. Of uh, 2018? Yeah. So that's, yeah. Well, Gay's doing math right now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a very brief time. And I want to work this year on not feeling afraid. I want to give myself the space and the permission to experiment and not think of it as a way to prove myself, but a way to liberate myself. Yeah. Did you sing in the church with your grandma? I did. Yeah, it was definitely. Well, I don't know your background. You mentioned Jewish heritage. Yes, I had my bat mitzvah and everything. I was right super Jew till I was 13, became an, an adult in the Jewish community. When you have your bar bat mitzvah, you're an adult and then yes. you can choose to continue on or not. And I chose not to continue because I didn't like going to temple. But um, <laughs> but I did yes. the bat mitzvah. We got the pictures. We had a video somewhere, which I Ooh. really wanted to find because my mom had this coworker who – my mom was a math teacher. So just imagine, like, all the math teachers hanging out at your bat mitzvah. Yeah. And I was in a community where, like, there weren't a lot of Jewish people. So all of my friends that came didn't know what the fuck a bat mitzvah was, mm. had never been to one. It had no idea what this experience is. And you're 12 to 13, so you're in the most awkward time of your life. Sure, sure. Uh, so you have all that, and then the Macarena was the biggest fucking song. <laughs> and one of my mom's coworkers doing the Macarena was the funniest shit of my life. And there's a video out there that when my parents split up and both moved a million times, like, I don't have it. And I'm just like, I need to see this dude. I'm not going to say his name, but it's also, I just, I just picture this like stiff, like Macarena, like a math teacher, like a very calculated Macarena, you know, yeah, even yeah. with the, cause you know, you do like the hand and then you flip the hand and then you, right. and then you put the hand over your, like in the back of your head. But then there's like a twisty move. Like yes. imagine a calculate, you know, Oh, they're thinking about radius diameter. Yeah. He's probably like drawn it out on a fucking graph sheet of paper with a compass and like Absolutely. he was like I'm ready for this bat mitzvah <laughs> yes I also love this American image that I'm painting in my mind which is Jewish individuals and Gentiles meeting upon the dance floor they don't know why they're there but the macarena is playing so everything's okay <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, so that's what the Jewish people do. So that's what I was raised with. I assume uh, church is a different experience. It's different. What you're describing sounds so fun and community. I just really want to do the Macarena now, honestly. Um, yeah, I just brought, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are just like, oh, I did used to love that. It was a bop, as the children say. Yeah. The bee's knees. The bee's knees, I say. Um, yeah, Southern Baptist. I mean, I, I should have a little short list of what that means to me so no drinking no swearing uh, no gambling catholics were considered weirdos in my hometown there was the one catholic church and they had the bingo slash fish fry so that was super tight heathens absolutely but nevertheless i definitely learned early on importance of community and that community can look a lot of different ways and the church that i went to is very very small growing up i think it was like 40 people or something so a microcosm within a small town it kind of writes itself uh, for all of its trappings good so and bad like really knew everybody yeah everyone and knew everyone everybody's business how's your mom how's miss opal yeah all that so i think overall i don't reflect on those years with the greatest amount of warmth but i know that i received some important lessons 
on how to be kind and how to bring people together. And I think that's what I watched my grandma do with music. And so when I relate that uh, notion, that understanding of what music can do to art space, that's what I get most excited about is trying to let music be the bind between the audience and me. Because I can do, I feel decently comfortable doing drag in front of people and lip syncing, but I'm kind of afraid of lip syncing. Like I'm way really? more confident being like, well, let me just mm. get on the piano over here because I have more control, right? Mm. If I'm feeling real angsty, I can just like beat the hell out of the piano and sing something. But if it's a recording and I'm lip syncing, it's the recording, right? Yeah. So I feel a really more naked and afraid doing lip syncing than I do music. Yeah, I would like to actually, there's so many other musicians that I know Lash Wednesday is also a singer and a live vocalist. So I would I'd be interested to hear more about people's feelings, the lip syncing versus live music drag performance. I bet we all are kind of anxious for different reasons. Yeah, because I feel like the lip syncing, <laughs> you know, just like the Lunchable, like you know exactly what's going to happen. And that <laughs> seems like it'd be a comfort but at the same time it, if you can just get up there and feel what you're feeling like that's also ama- that's amazing but to me that's scarier but to sure. you that's comforting that's the lunchable i should call my therapist maybe <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah fear and drag i think that must be is that like um the screwdriver vodka orange juice drag fear like i feel like that's just the cocktail <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, I think what's cool, because like as much as I shit on organized religion, I do mm-hmm. feel like there are a lot of good things you can get out of that. And I think mm-hmm. like a lot, a lot, like there's a lot of Jewish people that say like, I'm not religiously Jewish, but I am culturally Jewish mm-hmm. because it is a culture. And we're also we grew up as others, most of us in a lot of different situations where it's like, oh, that's the Jewish people over there and they do their own temple thing. And that is a part of you, whether you believe in the religion or follow the religious customs or not. It's true. Yeah, I, I definitely had to and continue to have to unlearn. <sighs> being judgmental you know the the some of the tenant tenements of the doctor and that i grew up within is that our god or the god that we were referencing in these texts and in these sermons he was a judgmental god and he was angry and selfish and really doesn't sound like a super cool guy um in in those terms and i i feel that i had to unlearn I had to unlearn some bad perspectives and I had to become more open-minded. I think some of that's small town culture, but I do think that some of that is, you know, evangelistic religion that is uh, them versus us, you know, and um, certainly being a queer individual, knowing that my whole life and having to come to terms with that as an adolescent whilst still being involved with church, even though uh, there was a a period of time where we disconnected from our small 40 person congregation church. I eventually got involved with a youth group when I was in high school and those were really cool experiences and cool years because by that point as an angsty teen who was rocking you know hot topic and sneaking marble menthol lights behind the bleachers um it was cool to be able to 
congregate on Wednesday nights for a youth group and I did music with the youth band, you know, like the rock band vibes. Mm -hmm. We've got lights and we have a projector with words on it. Yeah, I definitely did that band. Yeah, the Jars of Clay vibe. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Jars of Clay. Oh, man. What is the comparison? Jars of Clay. Would that be like, man, who compares to Jars of Clay? I don't know why I thought of Flock of Seagulls, but that's not that's not appropriate. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's the one. <laughs> that's not the one. I'll keep pushing against that idea. Flock of Seagulls sounds like it could be a Christian rock band, though. It is true. <laughs> like, that name could, they could pull it off, but I'm sure there's something in the Bible there they can pull from. I love that idea. I want to, now, okay, I've never wanted to be a producer until this moment. <laughs> I want to do 80s-inspired Bible Jesus songs. Yes. <laughs> We'll get our lighters out, or do they? Are they allowed to use lighters? Do they actually use like real candles with Jesus on them? Like, um, I don't remember any fire being involved. Maybe some flip cell phones. Maybe. Or do you remember those ones that slid up? Yeah. Yeah, some slidey ones. Those um, were cool. <laughs> those were super tight. Did, did your church have like the thing where like they would tell you who's going to hell? Like, was that a big? Was hell like a big mm. part of the church thing where it's like if you don't live in this righteous path, you're going to hell, or mm-hmm. if you're gay, or if you you're this or if you're that like hell's happening i think that's a really important interesting question i think growing up i was more exposed to the stringent southern baptist when you're wrong you're wrong and when you're right you're going to heaven you know that that was a little more real for me growing up but when i was a teenager and i was in uh basically a generic baptist church it was less direct and with that is what I identify as the bless your heart culture <laughs> of we accept you, honey, and we accept you just as you are. It's uh, what's the phrase? It's not the sin. It's the sinner. No, no. It's not the sinner. It's the sin. So it's not you. It's just the gayness in you. <laughs> so these kind it's of a huge part of you. Yeah. Yeah. This giant part of my identity that's really unnecessary, uh, necessary to understand and respect. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, I feel that the quietness of the it's not black or white. I think the quietness of that judgment that kind of shakes my shakes my core a little more intensely than the direct kind of angry god vibe the quiet back backhanded vibes i think those can be really damaging especially to a, an adolescent who's figuring out their identity figuring out why they want to be who they are and i i just didn't find a lot of space for for evolution. Uh, I have this really clear memory. It was my first year of going to college, which was like an hour and a half north from where I grew up. And I took this world religions class. So it was like little fish in a big academic pond. And uh, the professor was talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh. And it's really similar to Noah and the Ark. Oh. And I was like, oh shit. This person pulled the page and the people who wrote the Bible just stole Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah, and they made all the holidays basically the same as the pagan holidays. Absolutely. And, and once I had uh, this understanding, thanks to education, <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember going back to my youth pastor at the time uh, in my hometown. And I said, oh, yeah, so this Epic of Gilgamesh thing, have you heard of that? And and he he couldn't accept that there was a stealing of it was a perception of 
oh, this thing really happened. Different cultures just wrote about it. And it, yeah. there wasn't, it was almost like a denial of knowledge, you know? And I, I realized that was the, the, the formal time where I realized this is not for me anymore. And I, I feel like that's where I've had to kind of find peace with the church, capital C, is church was community for me it was not worldview for me and so it was like your culture it was like, my culture in a way yeah and but i always knew that i wasn't even as a kid i knew like mm, i'm not really fully into this uh, maybe it was the bat, uh, the bat mitzvah thing where like they wanted to be here because the sandwich tray but <laughs> they didn't really know who you were but they really want to be here you know and yeah I, I felt like i always did that dance so to say um so now i found finally as an adult i found peace and like acceptance because i don't want to spend my years angry i want to take what i can then move forward with my life and you did get some good like even if there you know were some negative things there's still some positive things and it still shaped you absolutely. as to who you are today absolutely so you know and i think that's interesting like college that that's where it's like not just college just like even now going on the internet and wikipedia wikipedia in yes that's the right word shit it, like <laughs> it can blow your mind that you're just like okay maybe things that i was told were 100 percent factual mm-hmm. are not Right. So were you out to your church? It never happened. Uh, The story that I now, uh, how do I say this? Therapy's given me many gifts. And one gift it's given me is how to understand the situation, even though at the time it felt ginormous. Uh, And it was. Uh, But my coming out story did not just involve me. It involved my mother. (laughs) Um, So it's not as backwater as it sounds. Don't worry. (laughs) But I, for uh, maybe since like age seven or eight, I always knew that I was seeing through more than one lens is how I make sense of it now. The kaleidoscope lens versus the, the stagnant one lens. And I, you know, had had little like, I kissed this girl this one time or I fooled around when I was at the river with a person. <laughs> Maybe this is a little more backwater than what. <laughs> so anyway, I had had a girlfriend and I was 15 or 16 and she was like 20 and she lived right down the road from me literally like a block or two down from where I lived and anyway long story short my mother found out about me being with this person because of a note remember writing notes and in school yeah so I would write my girlfriend at the time clearly was not in school she had graduated (laughs) thank god (laughs) again at first period (laughs) the backwater the back yeah absolutely (laughs) oh my god so um I had, yeah, um, my mom had found a note that I had wrote to my girlfriend and I was confronted in the kitchen and my grandmother was involved and they basically, metaphorically speaking, like beat the Bible uh, across my head. Not literally, but, yeah. you know, bringing up the Bible verses and talking about this black and white, this is wrong, you don't want to be like this, we want you to, you know, everlasting life and all this noise and... Yeah. So that was really shitty, right? It was a very challenging time. A few months later, a person who my mom uh, was friends with when my mother was in high school, she was coming to visit. Her name is Joe, And so Joe came to visit. I was a senior in high school by this point. 
Oh, I was also forced to break up with my girlfriend. I was going to ask what happened to that. Arguably speaking, we weren't a good fit (laughs) for a myriad of reasons that don't need to be divulged here. But uh, yeah, so I was forced to break up with my girlfriend. Um, That's got to be hard, though, like to have someone tell you who you can be and not be in a relationship with and also be at a young, vulnerable age where you're like, I guess I have to do it. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and again, toggling between the, uh, Protestant, uh, life and the secular life. I was, there were Wednesday nights where my girlfriend would drop me off in front of youth group. And, you know, there were some days where I would go on a church trip and then I would go see my girlfriend after. And so like, I I've always been bebopping between (laughs) poles on some level. So that was definitely another example of that. So yeah, I broke up with the girlfriend and then that fall, my mother's friend, Joe, came to visit. And the moment I saw Joe, I was like, okay. Okay. Like, we have something in common. There's something <laughs> connecting us. <laughs> and that connection is gay. And uh, so, yeah, shortly thereafter, I basically found out, learned, in the messy way that life is, uh, that mom and Joe were seeing each other. And you can imagine the teenage Gilmore gay girls chaos that <laughs> developed from this uh, this understanding. And so for a while, I just hated my mom. I mean, I don't think a 16-year-old needs any more ammunition to be upset with her parents, but yeah. I definitely was <laughs> upset with her. And it was a really challenging time. Then uh, at some certain point over a few scratch off tickets, uh, not scratch off tickets, uh, scratch offs. I know we were talking about gambling (laughs) earlier. (laughs) I have this memory of my mom taking me and we sat in this gas station parking lot and she bought some scratch offs and she handed me a few. I was like, here. And we just did them in silence. And I think I won like three bucks and she didn't win anything. And she was like, yeah, so are we good? And it wasn't the scratch-offs that made us good. It, I think it was the act of being able to, like, be with each other and not be yelling at each other. Yeah. <laughs> So that all happened. My mother and I developed this understanding and this new kind of newfound love and respect for each other. And then uh, within that time, we also learned some history about my grandmother. So her mother and my grandmother's past uh, involving partnerships with women. And while we don't know a lot about that, she's no longer with us. It was a weird unscripted opportunity for my mom and I to truly feel like we had common ground and that we really needed to sit and question the frameworks of which we both grew up in and how I was raised, how my mother chose to raise me. So catharsis at its highest point, uh, Mm. both of us, you know, were in therapy individually. And as an adult child, I've found Uh, peace with uh, most of my childhood and kind of understanding that we're all figuring shit out and that at any point we can still be proven wrong about our perspective you know so that was my coming out story I really never had a formal coming out though I I wish I don't know is there like a coming out bat mitzvah or something (laughs) we can throw you one dude I'm into it I I feel like that would be a lot of fun I mean at this point I feel like I'm past a certain point you know (laughs) 
I'm coming. And you got you already got a song. I mean, it's just I've, I think people will throw a party for that, and it should yeah. be more of a party versus us all just being scared shitless about coming out to people. Like right, right, yeah. There that fear, the fear that I learned through religion, and then certainly transferred into fear of identity and. And what should be associated as fun and beautiful, which is sex and sexuality and intimacy. I felt like I really didn't get a hold of that until really the last you know, few years of my life as a free thinking adult. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, however you, you get there, whatever your path is and whatever your mom's mm-hmm. path is, because I'm sure, right. you know, the generation that she grew up was a different time and most likely, statistically speaking, less uh, accepting than the ones that we grew up in. Absolutely. So uh, how did you get to New Orleans? So you're in Arkansas. You went to college an hour and a half away Mm -hmm. from your hometown. Mm -hmm. Graduate college there? Yes. Then what? So I did the thing. I was the first person to graduate from high school. Even my mom and my father didn't graduate from high school. I was the first person to graduate from high school from my parents. First person to go to college. And I was at a point where I didn't necessarily want to leave I was in a partnership at that point so I was in love did you you U-Haul it well we talked about it of course you did it was was one of those things (laughs) where like we were in class and she noticed me and I didn't notice them and you know tit for tat and a few tequila shots later and a few months later you know we started being together so we talked about it um basically I was in a position where I didn't want to stop going to school I was studying creative writing uh with an emphasis on poetry I had a a few really great mentors there and I had no idea until I got to my college town that writing was a thing that people could actually do. The Bible's Um, already been written. I mean, what else is there, mama? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, God. (laughs) So so I had such a beautiful connection with writing and I felt like I was able to liberate myself through the act of writing and, and being published. So I wanted to go to graduate school and I feel like at that time, maybe a little bit before my time, graduate school was really being pushed at all of us. Oh yeah. And I decided to apply to a handful of places. I got into Cal Art in Valencia, California. That's Santa Clarita. And That's then part abso- of Santa Clarita. Absolutely. Very familiar with Cal Art. Yes, God. <laughs> so there was that or there was University of New Orleans. And I had only been to New Orleans once when I was, I think, 12 we went down, my mother, my grandmother, and my little brother and I, we came down here uh, for like a week. We started the Sheraton. Mm. Super ritzy. And, uh, Name so, brand hotel, huh? Oh, you know it. <laughs> Don't worry. We packed our own box fans. It's so okay. <laughs> uh, so I made the decision. Well, I got a partial scholarship to CalArt, but it was still really expensive. Mm. And I felt like I was in, again, this like, choosing my father and like my uh, being born out in California my father's people being out in California I had I felt like I had to make this decision of do I really fully remove myself from the south or do I stay and just go to a different place but stay with my roots and I'm really really glad that I made the decision I did so yeah I graduated uh from with my undergraduate degree in May of 2011 I moved here in August 2011 and I went to University of New Orleans and completed my graduate degree in May of 2014. So I basically went to school for the first, I don't know, 23 mm. years of my life, 20 years of my life. Yeah. 
it was really stupid. But... No, you're right, though. Like, back in back in our day, like, yeah. when I graduated college, everyone was like, you have to at least – that all, all the research was like, a four-year degree ain't shit. Yes. It's not shit. You have to get a master's. You have to get a JD, a doctorate, whatever it is, PhD. And then now they're like, you don't even need the four-year. Like, don't get the student debt. Don't waste your fucking time. Like, just right. do the thing you want to do and actually get the job experience versus learning about the thing. Yeah. I think I think college, you know, if that's the choice you want to make, I don't think – Every I don't think anything's for everybody, but I think for me, college was good because it removed me from my hometown, Austin Town. Yeah. It got me out to be on my own for the very first time, mm-hmm. and I got to learn. Like you know, I took classes like you where I was like, "Holy shit!" Like world. Like I took a class just on the Middle East just to learn nice. what the fuck it is because history growing up in high school and junior high was just American history and European history, mm-hmm. and I was like, "There, there is a whole world out there, and they have Absolutely. their own histories, and it's not just about like England conquering them where the you know sun never." sets on their empire india has its own history and every the middle east and it gives you the space to to learn that and it also gives you the space at least where i went to school to just be who you are you're not pigeonholed like in high school i feel like you get pigeonholed a lot like oh you're the nerd and you're the athlete and you're you know whatever and then it's but we can all be a a bunch of different things and being the nerds okay and and the nerd can also be the athlete and yep I definitely had my first drag experience, not as a performer, but as an audience member in college. I was in the marching band there and uh, one of the um, the flag. Oh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of this term. <laughs> the people who spin the beautiful flags. Um, they, the color guard. Woohoo, uh, we did it. Like flag spinner? Flag spinner. <laughs> that sounds uh, right. One of the members of the color guard, uh, they loved this teal eyeshadow that I had and wanted to borrow it. And I said, yeah, you can borrow it. And there was one 18 and up club in the state from what I understood at the time. And they had drag night. And so they took me out there to Little Rock. It was 30 minutes away from my college town. And, um, we went to Little Rock, went to the gay bar and saw some drag and there were drag events on our campus. So you're absolutely right. I think that was certainly the first time of having awesome amounts of exposure. And some of it was silly, not the drag, like some of it was like noise, like people proselytizing about abortion on our campus. You know, you get yeah. these like crazy right wing people, but then there's also the beautiful diversity of, you know, gender expression, racial representation. So Yeah, I'm super glad. I'm not happy about the student debt, but super glad that (laughs) I did give myself the permission to go to college. And I'm glad that I gave myself the permission to move to New Orleans because it's really been a big, warm, swampy embrace. Yeah, (laughs) you're still here. What, five years later, still... It's, I'm going to make eight years in August. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, because uh, I was looking at your graduation date. So mm-hmm. I was like, 2014? No, it's 2011's when you oh, moved here, though. Yeah. Yeah. 2011. I totally got that wrong. <laughs> when did I graduate undergrad? Oh, this is terrible. 20, you just said I'm, 2011. I don't even know <laughs> what day it is, I know. Amanda. <laughs> it, it ends in Y. It's okay. Um, and then... Yeah, so one one more question, because I am personally interested interested in this, because I don't actually know the answer to this. Yeah. Your drag name is Titty Baby. Absolutely. How did that come about? Yes. So growing up in the South, that was a phrase in regards to being a crybaby or being a whiner. So, okay, here's the script. Um, I'm really hungry. 
And I think I'm going to eat this pizza lunchable, mom. So okay if I eat the pizza lunchable. No, I'm making dinner. Dinner will be ready in 30 minutes. Don't eat the pizza lunchable. And I would start to, oh, I really want it though. And then she would say, don't be a titty baby. Just go outside and play and I'll let you know when dinner's ready. So it's like this colloquialism, which I guess if you're a West Coaster, maybe you're not familiar. Never heard of it. Right on. That's why I was like, I didn't know. That's why I was curious about it. I had no idea. My mom never said that to me. Yeah. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, it's certainly in the lexicon of the Deep South. And there are times where it's very clear people have not heard that phrase and maybe aren't even comfortable saying it. Um, but then there are other people who are like, yes, thank you so much for using this name. So uh, definitely a regional. So you're reference. like taking it back, essentially. Yes. The- yes. I also didn't know what I wanted my name to be. And uh, my friend and I were going over options and that it just popped out of my mouth and she said yeah go for it I suggested it in workshop with my sisters and with Vince and he said oh that's it and he modified the spelling a little bit because I wanted to be full titty like (laughs) t-i-t-t-y and it's t-i-t-i t-i-t-i-b-a-b-y so linguistically it's pleasing to me because I was cycle eight and it's eight letters okay that's a little bit of nerd brain it's like a Da Vinci Code shit man (laughs) I know where the Declaration of Independence is. (laughs) I was just thinking too, like you could write your own song because it's it's the way it's spelled. Like I was just when I said T I T I, I was like Mm -hmm. that sounds like a musical. Like like you could do like a Fergalicious or like one of those ones where they like spell out your name and it's like the T I T I sets it up nicely. Yes, T I T I B A B Y. Ooh, I don't know. Fabulous. Yeah. F A B O L O U S. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So think about that for the future. Thank you so much. I'll give you producer cred if I actually cut that track. I will literally take any producer cred you give me. (laughs) But uh, thank you so much for doing this interview with us. This was a lot of fun. And can you let everyone know where the fuck they can find you? Yes. Yeah. And thank you for having me. Um, I am on the Instagram at TittyBabyDrag. T-I-T-I-B-A-B-Y-D-R-A-G. That's about the only place right now. We'll see what happens this year. But Instagram's the best way to get in touch with me. And then email is the same, tittybabydrag at gmail. Book me, and I'll be there with my bells on. All right. (laughs) All right, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) She brings the mic closer to her so we can hear her. You're my friend, it's where you told me. Can you see what's inside of me? Many times we've been out drinking.
can't you see this opposition comes rising up sometimes it's dreadful anti-position comes blackening my mind and then I see your darkness oh no I see your darkness then I City Baby for sharing their world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. Thanks to all our friends and supporters out there, and congratulations to our contest winners. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, the live queer storytelling show in New Orleans, Austin, New York City, and now in the Bay Area. Check out our Facebook page for more information. Thank y'all!
would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.